The Richmond Theatre Critics Circle. Curtain Call. A discussion of all things theatre with Richmond critics and occasional guests. Welcome to Curtain Call, Act 6, Scene 18. I'm Jerry Williams from Sifter. Julinda Lewis with RVA Art Review. And Susie Hobbins-Stock from BroadwayWorld.com. Anyone who heard our podcast two weeks ago heard an interview with the two actors who are playing the lovers in the production that we're going to actually review today. I'm talking about 4,000 Days, which is playing at Richmond Triangle Players live and on demand through May 22nd. A man wakes up after being in a coma and has forgotten almost everything from the past 11 years. He doesn't remember his lover, which actually pleases his mother, who never liked him. So, Jelena, since you saw it on Friday night, why don't you kick things off? I thought it was kind of a hoot. It was a very interesting show. Some of the dialogue was pretty snappy, especially watching Jacqueline Jones in the role of a kind of villainous character, which is so totally unlike how we're used to seeing her. And some of her facial expressions were just over the top. One thing that I found a little odd was it seemed like as if the characters kept slipping in and out of fake British accents. Yep. And I wasn't quite sure what that was about. I noticed that too. And I just want to mention before we talk about the other actors, Susie and I saw the show Saturday night, the night after you did. And I've always heard that myth or that superstition that sometimes the second night suffers because of the first night, there's so much energy. This was not Jackie at her best the night we saw it. I would agree. There seemed to be some muffed lines and, and just the rhythm seemed off. Yeah. So I think that probably affected our interpretation of the performance. It reminded me when she did The Lions, which was also at Triangle, where she played a very vicious Jewish mother. And I thought she was brilliant in that. I felt with this one, she just wasn't quite as sharp. She kind of delivered it all with cold stares and dry delivery. And she was kind of came off as more mean than funny. Seeing it so early in the run, I didn't feel that the three characters had really developed the kind of relationship that a three character play should have. I didn't really find that the characters were interacting in a really natural kind of flow that I would have liked. We haven't mentioned the other actors. Todd Patterson was the lover. And then Carlin Kernish is the one who wakes up out of the bed. I agree. I don't think the two of them ever, I'd never felt that they were very close. Like you mentioned with the English accents, I thought Carlin's was top notch and was solid for the whole show. His, I felt comfortable with the other two. I wasn't sure. The biggest problem I had with Todd was he was so soft. Sometimes I just could not hear what he was saying. Well, that's interesting. I didn't find that Todd was too soft at all, but I, I felt that the relationship or the interaction between Todd Patterson and Jackie Jones was stronger than the other two relationships, than the relationship between the mother and son or between the two lovers. I, I really want to fault the writing on this. Oh, yeah. It was not, uh, this exact plot is going on on Days of Our Lives right now. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not- And it's most, been done 20 times on Days of Our Lives. 20 times for sure. I thought that Todd had plenty to play. I thought that he showed a lot of fear and insecurity and anger and bristling. And I thought that Carlin Kernish as Michael was kind of squishy, teddy bear, kind of cute, but I didn't really feel like I got to know him. And Jacqueline Jones as the mother, that was just written as a, to me, a nasty character. I, I couldn't find any sympathy for her. It was hard to really fall for any of these characters. And that makes it hard to be invested in the show. And I agree that I think the script, I, I kind of said that it kind of aspires to be kind of like a Noel Coward, sardonic British drawing room comedy with that kind of sharp wit. But the script just didn't have it. The first act seemed very repetitive. It seemed like they kept explaining the information over and over to us. After the intermission, 
I thought it got a little more interesting because there was more going on, but I still agree. I don't think the show really ever connected. And the director, Lucian Restivo, who is a very accomplished director in town, I didn't feel like this was his strongest. I don't know if it was the play and he just was at a loss or he hadn't had a chance to really work the team together yet, but I didn't feel like it was directorially very effective either. Moving away just from that, the whole ambiance and set, I had some problems with that. Having spent a lot of time in hospital rooms over the past few years, I had some issues with the arrangement of the room, the size of the room, and the the way things were arranged in it. But one thing that I did like was having the stagehand dressed in scrubs and playing the role of the orderly. Yeah, I agree. The set was serviceable, but it felt out of proportion. Daisha Gregg designed the set, tried to have kind of a, a forced perspective some weird angles. I don't think it added anything at all. And it just felt like you said, it kind of weirdly appointed the window that they kept looking straight across at, they would have had to look down more and the window didn't allow, especially for sitting from a wheelchair to look down the window. And I just have to say this because they make a big deal about how the young man was a talented artist who gave up his artistic career because his lover thought it was not successful. And he paints a mural during the second act. And I have to say that is some of the ugliest art I have ever seen. (laughs) Now I know why he was encouraged to not be an artist. And I don't know if that was intentional and they wanted to say, look, this guy's really bad. This is why I should have given it up. Or they just came up with a bad design. But I really thought that was a truly hideous mural. I had a lot of trouble with the set. I didn't understand what they were doing with the door, which looked askew. I didn't understand what they were doing with the panel behind the bed, which looked improperly constructed. Okay, Susie, I'm so glad you said that. What was going on with that door? If it was supposed to be cartoonish, then everything should have been constructed right. that way should have been taken further but the doorway, yeah, yeah, that... which was a main feature it was right there dead center and it was used constantly was crooked i was sitting in the right hand side of the audience and could not see the window at all just saw a a black right. piece of wood and there was right, right. I, I wouldn't even have known that there was a window except for, for the pantomime aspect of it they could have easily just closed in the angles a little more so we would have been able to see that On the program, we have listed Tippy Hart as an intimacy director, although there was precious little intimacy in the play that I could see. I didn't realize there was an intimacy director. What did she do? I guess that's just popular now. So everybody's got to have one. You know, now every show has a dialect coach and an intimacy director, whether they need it or not. One thing I'd like to mention about the direction that was kind of woven into the show and was kind of an interesting aspect, but it didn't really make a difference, was they said it in present day. So every time the actors came into the room, they had on masks as if it was the COVID lockdown, and then they took them off and then proceeded to act without them. But that was kind of an interesting little angle. I don't think it added anything to the show. And speaking of which, right before intermission and then in the middle of the second act, there was a montage of stuff that had happened in the last 11 years. I don't know that that added anything to the show except for length. I felt like it was it put the rest of the show to shame. I thought it was beautiful and affecting and more involving than the show itself, as was the music. The music selections were wonderful. Yeah, and I enjoyed the video montage. They packed so much into a short amount of space there and covered just about all the main topics. I thought that was really great. One thing that was interesting, somebody noted to me later, and I'm not sure this was clear, the first montage was basically all the horrible things that had happened in those 11 years. The second montage was the positive things because there was a whole lot of gay pride in the second one. Actually, I think it was a little overproportionate considering all the other things that happened in those 11 years. But that was an interesting side note there. So overall, I'm hearing that we did not think this was the best work and that a lot of that 
was probably the play. Yeah. Yeah. It was wonderful to be back in the theater, but I wish it had been for a more worthy object. Yeah. Susie, you you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say the best thing about this was being able to be there after most of us had our vaccines and we were able to hug each other. Yeah, that was great. That was a wonderful moment. Well, we have been talking about 4,000 Days, which is playing at Richmond Triangle Players and on demand through May 25th. And that's all for this week's Curtain Call. On the next show, I'll be interviewing Katrina Carroll Lewis and Steve Perigard, who are the co-artistic directors for Virginia Rep. I'm Jerry Williamson Sifter. I'm Julinda Lewis with RVA Art Review. And Susie Hobbenstock with BroadwayWorld.com. For extended podcasts and complete reviews, visit the Richmond Theatre Critics Circle website at artsies.org. 